0: middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world, I'm Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. This is Keeper of the Games.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast all about sports here in Wichita, Kansas. I'm Tommy Castor. My co-host is Weston Mills. Time for another episode of Keeper of the games and weston uh you've had yourself a pretty busy day as we're getting ready to record this podcast are you sure your brain can handle anything more of than than what you've already gone through today
0: yeah man i think uh, as i'm approaching uh the dad life i don't know if uh, i know the phrase that frequently gets used is uh you know pregnant brain or mommy brain i think dad brain's a a thing too that i'm slowly uh uh, building up upon me, I'm having those moments, but no, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to rock and roll after a, a day full of uh, all sorts of baby things.
1: Yeah, you guys are getting pretty close to the deadline. I know we haven't talked about it much on the podcast, but yeah, it's getting close to uh to go time for you and your wife.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, due, due date's October sixteenth, so we're, we really are. We're in the last last month, which I I know my wife is uh, obviously very very happy to be. You know, closing in on on the the time with the pregnancy being done. So uh, looking forward to it, obviously, but definitely kind of feeling that that crunch and that pressure of all the last things you got to do before bringing the baby home. Well, you can't let that get
1: in the way of uh, uh, some great sports talk here today. Right. We're going to have a great show, uh, you know, that we're going to be getting into in just a few minutes here on Keeper of the Games. We want to remind you to hit subscribe that way. Every time we have a brand new episode, you'll get a notification. If you'll notice, we drop this episode a day early. That helps me out a lot of my schedule later on this week. And uh, so you never know exactly when a new episode is going to drop. Usually we try to release them on Thursdays, but the last few weeks, you know, really has kind of been all over the place. So the best way to know when we have a new episode of the podcast is to hit subscribe on any of your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Podcast, and many others. Also, you can also watch full episodes on YouTube and on Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can also watch those episodes on our website, cogpod.weebly.com. And of course, you can follow us anytime on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at KOG pod. We are going to kick off this episode of keeper of the games. Where else than by talking about the two and Kansas city chiefs. And we've kind of, I think a lot to discuss as we look back on the chiefs overtime, 23 to 20 win against the Los Angeles chargers on Sunday afternoon. And Weston, I, I think the, the first word that comes to mind for the Chiefs in that game is the word ugly. What are your initial thoughts from the Chiefs week two win against the Chargers?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there were some were some fast facets of the game that were ugly. We'll definitely talk about the offensive line and and some of the issues that they had. Um, But, you know, the thing that I, I think I was really thinking about with this win throughout the game and kind of I guess comparing the feeling I had during this game and the feeling after compared to years in in the past with the Chiefs is that you know this is how this is what good teams do. You know, you you're never going to play perfect football, but good teams find a way to overcome that and still win games. And I don't know that we've been there a lot of times in the past with the Chiefs. Obviously, you won a Super Bowl last year, they had that feeling, but that's where we we I feel like we're at with this, you know, with this franchise. And the other thing then being also with Patrick Mahomes, you just never feel out of a game, even, even in moments when you saw the offense struggle. And again, I, I'm going to use that kind of lightly because it it was tied in with, with the offensive line, um, not necessarily, in my opinion, the offensive unit as a whole. Um, but, but that's just the thing about good football teams is it doesn't matter what's going wrong. It doesn't matter how bad they're playing. It doesn't matter what kind of injuries they face they find a way to get, get those games, close them out, and you know finish them off when other teams may just fold and let it go. So that that was really my – I just thought about that over and over several different times throughout that day that I just didn't feel like we were out of it and that, hey, if we're this good football team like we think that we are, we got to find a way to win, win this game.
1: I saw a stat at the end of the game, and I'm not exactly sure uh, where the stat came from. Uh, but but I, I read this and I just it was mind blowing to me kind of on your point about Pat Mahomes and never really feeling like you're out of it. Over the last two seasons, the Chiefs are six and oh with Patrick Mahomes when they're losing by 10 points or more. They're six and oh. Uh, When they're down by more than 10 points, they have not lost a game in the last two years when that happens. So, you know, that, that does, you know, speak a lot to what you just talked about, about the resolve of of Patrick Mahomes, how dynamic he is, well, you know, what he can do to, you know, lead the team back from behind. I think if you're a Chiefs fan, though. You know, y'all. Y- you really, you know, always want them to be, you know, always from a place when they're ahead, as opposed to coming back from behind. But you'll take a win, however you can get it. I will say, going back to our last program, our last episode when we talked about our previews, I even tweeted about this. Uh, you talked about our previews for the game against the Chargers. You and I were wrong on a number of accounts. You know, as far as I don't want to say we. Um, overlooked the Chargers, but I don't think we gave them the credit that they deserved. And they do deserve a lot of credit. They're a better football team than, you know, I, I thought they were going to be. And I think they're a better football team than they were last year in a number of areas. And and I will say one area where I, I was, I don't want to say I was correct in, but I did point out was I was interested in seeing the Chiefs offensive line against the linebackers, you know, for the Chargers and the the linebackers for the Chargers absolutely won that matchup for most of the day. You know, the Mitchell Schwartz and, you know, Eric Fisher had a really hard time against Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, and they were disruptive all day long, delivering some really hard hits and putting a ton of pressure on Patrick Mahomes.
0: Yeah, I mean that that was kind of, I guess, surprising in a way. Joey Bosa is is an outstanding talent, and I think Melvin Ingram is good, but but he's not. He you know he isn't in that tier that Joey Bosa and a few others are. Um, and I was a little bit surprised because you know Mitchell Schwartz has done so well consistently against some of the top end talent of in the league. And then on the flip side, you know Eric Fisher has done a really really nice job against that same level of of talent not quite to the level in my opinion of Mitchell Schwartz, but they've both done a, re- a really solid job so you know I was surprised to see them struggle but at the same time like I said Joey Bosa is just such an outstanding talent and, and it goes back to exactly kind of what I talked about when we previewed this game and said hey look that injury is so significant because when you have Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram that limits schematically what you can do to help slow those guys down. When they're both healthy, you pretty much have to do like the chiefs did and put the tackles on an Island with top end pass rushing talent and let them go. Now I think in this in part is where I'm shifting the blame a little bit to other members of, of the offensive line. and, And that's tough to do without watching the tape, but I suspect because we got beat a little bit more up the middle. Um, I've drawn a blank on 99 for the Chargers. Um, he was he had an outstanding game, and it, and it uh, came from a couple different directions. But he, what happens when the? Oh, I'm sorry, Jerry Tillery. He had a really good yeah. game. It was very disruptive. Um, but when there's this push up the middle all the time, and you've got defensive tackles that are being disruptive in the middle, well the quickest point to the quarterback is from, you know, point zero of the football, the guy lined up over the, over the football straight line to the quarterback. So when it's disruptive up the middle, you have to do things to shift there. So now if you're using all three of those interior offensive linemen to essentially block two guys that limits in what you can do on the edge, where no matter how fantastic your tackles are, Typically, you may have maybe you have that tackle go. He can kick hard to the outside and knowing that he's got a guard coming and doesn't have to worry about being beat inside, Um, you know, one way or the other. Obviously, you're not doing that more more than likely with both defensive ends. Um, But when you have that flexibility, it allows you to create additional protection uh, four-year tackles against those top-in t- talent pass rushers. We were getting beat up the middle a lot throughout the day, and I think that kind of forced Andy Reid to say, "Okay, Schwartz, Fisher, we're going to have to let you guys, you know, play to your high-end talent." and, in- in- and just kind of sacrifice and so you saw a mixed match of all sorts of different things that didn't really allow us schematically to do the best job I think um, against this very very talented and like you just got you know just like you said I think we all thought hey these guys are good but I was impressed I think they're a lot better than what, what folks were giving them credit for so to me I think actually it was up the middle that kind of caused the problems moving outwards and then as we kind of get into the discussion about the offense as a whole frankly that that was the only issue I saw with this offense on Sunday was Pat just didn't have enough time to, to either run up to call the plays they wanted to call or sit in the pocket and go through the progressions and make the reads, make the throws that he wanted to make. It doesn't matter how talented of offensive players you have. If the offensive line can't give you time to run what you want to run, it, it just will not matter. And, and that's to me, it solely lied on that offensive line uh, last Sunday.
1: Hats off to Gus Bradley, who's the defensive coordinator for the Chargers, you know, especially in the first half and and even a little bit later in the game, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like you just mentioned, was under duress a lot, you know, and there were so many different occasions that he had a hard time getting off a clean throw, you know, And, and, and the Chargers defense incredibly disruptive, especially early on, you know, in that game and then obviously, you know, it looked like Andy Reid was able to make some adjustments, you know, to, to make that work a little bit better. And they were able to take advantage of, you know, the, the pressure uh, a little bit more, especially in the second half and then, of course, into overtime. But, you know, yeah, th- I, I think that this is the norm. I think this is going to be something that the Chiefs will continue to see week in and week out. What that was to me, I mean, that was more... That that game against the Chargers was a little bit more than just a game. I think it was a little bit of a crystal ball into the future of what the Chiefs can expect. You know, they are now the hunted as opposed to the hunter. They are the defending Super Bowl champions. They have a target on their back. I think they've had a target on their back to an extent ever since Patrick Mahomes came in to the league and took over that starting position. But now they are absolutely at the top of the pack. They're absolutely there. And every other team is going to give the Chiefs their best shot. And I'm not saying that otherwise they they wouldn't, but there's a little bit of an added um, motivation for these teams, especially a team like the Chargers, division rivals. They've lost, you know, the majority of the games against the Chiefs over the last four or five seasons. You know, Anthony Lynn, who I think is a pretty solid head coach for the most part, just has not had any luck against Andy Reid. So there was added motivation there for sure for the Chargers. Uh, you know, I just think overall this is the new norm and something that I think that Chiefs fans, Chiefs fans, have to start to expect is that. Every time out, there's a chance you're going to get punched in the mouth and you've got to be ready for it from the opening kick all the way to the end of the game.
0: Yeah, I think you're – I mean, I think you're definitely right in that sense. And I also think we are entering a new – era in the AFC West because I, I think the Chargers are talented we saw the we saw the Raiders beat the Saints. I think they're a very talented team too. I think yeah. we are still the clear favorite in the division. Um but I think I think the the division is just getting better as a whole. And I in a little other side note, I actually really like Drew Locke and I know he got hurt. Um and not that I thought that this year was going to be a real competitive year for the Broncos, but I like that the you know outlook for them moving forward. Um, you know and the other thing I'll say too is the one thing about this game is it, it didn't. While it was the, I felt like it was, it's the blueprint on how to slow down the Chiefs' offense. The thing about that is, though, that blueprint is the same one. It is, it's really the best way to stop any offense ever. And it's incredibly hard to do. Anytime you can. Put pressure on the quarterback with only rushing, bringing four guys. So not stunting linebackers, not bringing guys off the edge and not to say you're not going to do it at all. But for the most part, to have your front four put pressure on that quarterback will slow down and disrupt any and every offense in the NFL. And the Chargers, they've got the front four to do it. And there's not a lot of teams that do. Um, So that is going to be the blueprint, I think, in my my opinion, is to disrupt the offense with only using that front force. You can still have that, you know, high safety over the top of Tyreek Hill, that linebacker sitting in the middle of the field waiting for Travis Kelsey. That's the blueprint. But I say that through the lens of it's going to be incredibly hard for teams to be able to replicate that because you just it's not something you can scheme up. You have to have the personnel to do it. On the defensive side
1: of the ball for Kansas City, I would say I would argue that, you know, the defensive effort from start to finish in this game uh, was mediocre, probably at best for Kansas City. Uh, They had a really hard time stopping Justin Herbert for a majority of the game who we didn't even know was going to be starting until a few minutes before game time. You know, you and I spent all this time talking about Tyrod Taylor. uh, And obviously, you know, he was injured and and re-aggravated his injury in warmups. Rookie Justin Herbert out of Oregon took over. He's clearly the future quarterback for the Chargers. He's probably a guy that we'll see there for quite a long time. And I was impressed with him overall, who knows short term, you know, what the quarterback situation will be for Los Angeles. But, you know, Justin Herbert, at least on Sunday was the guy. And I think he performed pretty well, you know, in, in that, that short, you know, warm up period that he had getting into the game. On top of that, it wasn't just Justin Herbert. It was also the rush for the Chargers. The Chiefs allowed 183 yards on the ground, you know, and, and Austin Eckler and, um, you know, they've got a couple other running backs that, um, they kind of split time, you know, a little bit and carries uh, in that game, you know, but they, they, the chiefs defense had a hard time stopping the run, stopping Justin Herbert and you and I Weston, we've talked week in and week out about our concern for the secondary for Kansas city. And while I do think that there still is some concern there, we just got done talking about how good the chargers linebackers were uh, in, you know, th- this game, the chiefs linebackers, I didn't think performed well At all. You really didn't see Anthony Hitchens a whole lot. Ben Neiman got a lot of snaps, and he I thought he was awful and had you know a couple of penalties that were big on defense for Kansas City. Um, Are are you concerned at all for the linebackers for the Chiefs or is that just kind of an off day for them and just overall, you know, defensively, the Chiefs really didn't have that great of a day?
0: Yeah, people are going to get tired of me talking about schematics of either an offense or a defense, but I'm not, I'm not overly concerned yet. Um, And the reason that is, you know, obviously Trevarius Ward was out and then – who we had an, someone else got injured pretty early on in the game, and I'm drawing a blank now. But the thing, the secondary is already a problem, right? Then Traverius Ward doesn't play. Um, I think it was in, was it Antonio Hamilton that got hurt early. Anyway, yeah, I think you're right. Notwithstanding that, anyways, the secondary is in a position where we have to be doing things schematically to protect the weakest part of our defense. And often, well, and also Frank, Frank Frank Clark didn't play in in right. the second half too. Yeah. And so what that does though, is often puts us in situations where we're running nickel, we're running dime. We're doing a thing, a lot of things again, schematically that don't help out the linebackers. With that being said, it, it, we talked about this when we previewed the season, even that the run defense, you know, uh, David Johnson is week one of Houston has a, had a good game. Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly had a good game last week. So it's something that is definitely on my radar and we struggled with it last year. So they you know i guess i'll say it you know maybe this way we haven't seen anything yet this season to think that they've improved from last year but i'm not concerned that it has gotten worse just because of the situation we've been dealt with our secondary being the way it is i i i would suspect that spagnolia is probably doing a lot of things to you know schematically to help out that secondary so you don't give up that big play and say look you know linebackers we're gonna we're gonna leave you on an island you're gonna to have to make some plays because we got to help out this secondary and, and if we give up a four-yard run I'm okay with that I don't want to give up the 10 12 15 yard passes consistently because we've got these young inexperienced or frankly you know untalented guys you know playing in the secondary and I think that that's kind of where we're at with that right now but it is certainly on, on the radar of, of things that I'm uh, watching in the few in the next weeks moving forward. So by the way, Frank Clark left at halftime with an undisclosed illness
1: uh, does sound like he's going to be OK and, and will probably play more than likely play uh, this coming week against the Ravens also as you mentioned Antonio Hamilton had a groin injury Uh, and then also defensively Damian Wilson uh, left for a period of time after he put a hit on Justin Herbert but he came back Um, you know and uh, Anthony Hitchens also uh, missed a little bit of time on the sidelines uh, with an undisclosed injury uh, as well so obviously uh, you get into overtime the Chiefs were able to tie the game up you know late you know on the back of, of Patrick Mahomes and then they, they're able to force it to overtime. Um, and that's where pretty much all hell broke loose. Uh, be, even before we talk about the heroics of Harrison Butker, there was a curious decision that led to the Chiefs getting the football back on the part of Anthony Lynn, where the Chargers had, I, I believe they'd gotten a couple of first downs. Uh, the Chiefs were able to stop them. I believe it was fourth and one. And I don't quote me. I think and maybe, you know, more than I do. I think it was somewhere around the 40 yard line of yep. Los Angeles, uh, somewhere right around there at fourth and one. And Anthony Lynn decided to punt the football back to the Chiefs. It, it, I, I know we're biased because we're Chiefs fans, but in, re, you know, in retrospect, obviously hindsight's 2020. Was that the right move by Anthony Lynn? Do you think that if he had to go back and do that again, that he would make the same decision?
0: God, I don't know. To me it seemed like a no-brainer to go for that. You do not give that ball to Patrick Mahomes in my opinion. Yeah. I, you know, I would assume uh some of the thought process was the defense had played well, but as football is, once an offense kind of gets things figured out and makes adjustments, and that's exactly how the game flow went, right? It seems like the Chiefs offense kind of figured things out a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and they felt like they were really kind of rolling there at the end, and it just didn't make sense to give that ball back back to Pat, even if you give it to him you know, on the 40 or 45 about. I think, I think you're right. I mean, you would just think the chances of him getting into field goal range from the 45 were not much different than him starting on his own 20. Um, yeah. I, the only thing that, you know, I can kind of think too, is it was a, uh, I'll make a little cross Kansas city reference here. It was almost a, a Ned Yost like move where he's (laughs) going to get up in the, in the press conference and say, I got to trust my guys. You know, I got to trust my defense. You know, I understand that it made this, the numbers said to do this, but I'm going to trust my guys. I'm going to trust my defense. That's the only thing I can kind of think uh, at least that's what I was thinking was kind of going through my head at the time. So I, it seemed crazy, but, and it's funny because we talk about that decision that Andy, Anthony Lynn, Lynn made. And then we, they punt the ball to Kansas city. Andy Reed gets that ball and it wasn't overtime, right? I, I'm pretty sure it was an overtime when Andy Reed went forward on fourth and one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, fourth and well, one
0: and the balls on Andy Reed, to call a play to Darwin Thompson, yeah. our little, the littlest player on the Kansas city chiefs roster. He turns around and hands the ball to, and here's the thing that I think people missed. I know a lot of people were like, Oh my God, to call a running play to Darwin Thompson in fourth and one. Not only that, he pulled Kaleche simile from the off guard position. And I mean, I don't know if they were supposed to be trapping someone. He, he didn't trap anyone. He, he went up into the hole and, and met a, a backer. I think there, um, but to pull a guard, too, on fourth and one and give that opportunity to, for a defensive lineman to, to kind of get in his hip pocket and blow something up in the backfield, I, I can't imagine calling that. So, I mean, hat off, hats off to Andy Reid for, for trusting his guys to make that play work. Yeah. When you compare Andy Reid
1: and Anthony Lynn, you know, the more aggressive coach won the game, yeah. you know, the more conservative coach, you know, lost the game. And, uh, you know, if I'm Anthony Lynn, I mean, my, my counter to what you just said about, you know, and I, I agree about, you know, I'm sure Anthony would get up there and I, maybe he did in the press conference and say, I got to trust my guys on defense. If you really trusted your guys on defense, you'd go for it because if you don't get it, then you trust them enough to yeah. stop the Chiefs from getting into field goal range. But, you know, I'm sure that, um, you know, that that was that was the decision at the time. Uh, Obviously, the Chiefs were able to take advantage of it. And to your point, talking about how it seemed like the offense throughout the game sort of started to figure it out a little bit more. And there were some adjustments that were made. You know, Tyreek Hill was very, very quiet in the first half. He picked up a long touchdown pass that really got the Chiefs back in the game. And I know that we're talking about overtime, but I completely forgot to mention in regulation that two-point conversion completion to McCole Hardman was just incredible. Uh and, and, you know, and that was able to, you know, tie the game for the Chiefs at that point. Um, you know, now obviously in overtime, once the Chiefs got the ball back, it was up to Harrison Butker who had already tied the Chiefs' franchise record earlier in the game with a 58-yard field goal, you know, and he had to do it again in overtime. Let's hear from Harrison himself after the game as he was getting ready for the kick and then the re-kick and then the kick after that that actually won the game for the Chiefs.
2: I think I just got a little bit more uh, angry every kick. So the first one I thought they called timeout, and then I realized it was a false start. But going into the second one, they called timeout again. So in my head, that's two timeouts. And then I think I even looked at the uh, the Chargers sideline because I was like, come on, man, I'm trying to finish this game and get back to Kansas City. So that third one I felt like was my best kick. And I mean, to have two practice kicks before that is only going to help you. And I'm, I'm just really happy that we were able to stay through from the blocked extra point. Um, you know, we have a great field goal unit, James Winchester and Tommy holding the ball and uh, we were able to put it through. But that's stuff that we do in practice and we were able to transfer it over to the game. And then let's hear from
1: Harrison Butker talking about the length of kicks that he was attempting uh, during halftime.
2: Um, Last season, I don't know if I would have been as consistent from that distance. If you look back to 2017 against the Texans, same turf, like I said, 49 yarder at the end of the game, barely made it over. So I definitely have a stronger leg than I did in 2017. Last year, I had a pretty strong leg, but did not have the accuracy. This offseason, I was able to make a lot of long kicks, and then going into training camp, I really wanted to show the coaches I could be consistent from that distance. I thought I was in training camp, and then a day like today where you're indoors, basically no wind. I was able to hit from 67 before the game and 70 at halftime. Coach Tobe knew that, and he told Coach Reed that if we get to the 40-yard line, we'll be good. That'd be a 58-yarder, and I can just swing easy. I don't need to change anything. But last year, I don't think I would have made all three of those. Hopefully, I would have made the last one, but I definitely feel stronger and more accurate this season. A
1: 67-yard field goal attempt during halftime, a 70-yard field goal attempt during halftime. And then but what I think is most mind-blowing out of all of this is a 58-yard field goal. And he says the words, I can swing easy on that one. Weston, you talked about the balls on Andy
0: Reid. How about the balls on Harrison Bucker uh, during this game against the Chargers? Tommy, I will, I will promise you, I have never in my life, and this is the first time ever, and I I don't know if it'll ever happen again, that I'm gonna use the word badass with associating it with a kicker. And one of my best friends of all time was our kicker in college. And I grew up with this man, and I've never there's nothing he's ever done that I've used that term with. But Harrison Bucker, that was incredible. Have you seen the video? of him kicking that third one where he it's, it's the video right on him where he kicks the ball. Everybody else is watching it and he turns around and gives the Steph Curry. Just, yeah. You know, are you not entertained? Incredible. Yeah. He knew okay. he did. I mean, it was in, in kicker. I, I feel like you, you hear kickers a lot. You know, they talk about, um, you know, hey, you hit one, and you know, you know it's solid. You know where it's going. It, it, it absolutely, he knew it was in. But Tommy, you, you often you have questions for me. I've got a question for you. Okay, what is stronger, Harrison Bucker's leg or Patrick Mahomes' arm? That's a
1: really good question. Um, you know, I think if you were to ask me before this game, I probably would have said Patrick Mahomes' arm. Uh, but if 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 Harrison Butker is making seventy yard field goals, you know, during halftime, then it, it might be Butker's leg. You know, I, I'd like to see a competition between the two of them to figure out whether Patrick can throw the ball further than Harrison can kick it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, just seriously, so incredible. But I mean, that was, uh, it feels good to, to know that Kansas City has that position that is so important, uh, you know, really stable for for the next few years. And, and I mean, he's, I think he's in the conversation, right? He has to be of the best kicker in the NFL right now. I mean, I, you know, it takes a lot to really, you got to be paying attention to a lot of games and a lot of things to notice and compare the kickers. But I I, I just don't know that there's another kicker right, out there right now that are doing the things that Harrison Bucker is doing and at such a high, consistent level. Um, so incredible to have him right now. I was telling my wife, I'm, I may have to get a kicker's jersey. I, you know, yeah. Maybe I'm going to get a Bucker jersey. I don't know. I've, I've never done. Whew, I don't know. He's uh, just incredible play and just an incredible moment and a pretty cool way, way to end that game. Well, you know, you
1: you look at these NFL teams that they have trouble keeping kickers, you know, and and they're they're inconsistent. I think consistency is the the key word there. If you know that week in a week out, you put this guy out there and he's going to make it. Uh, and you don't really have to worry about it, that's huge. That's gold in the NFL. And I don't think it's any surprise at all that the top two teams in the NFL right now uh, have the top two kickers in the NFL right now. You've got Harrison Bucker for the Chiefs and Justin Tucker for the Ravens True. are probably one and two or two and one, however you want to rank them. They're probably the top two kickers in the league and the two top teams. Now, speaking of those teams, they're facing off against each other on Monday Night Football. Uh, it's going to be a, a while before the game from when this episode drops. Uh, So we've got a ways to go. Uh, This episode drops on Wednesday. The game is not until Monday, uh, but we won't have another episode between now and then. So it's kind of our our brief Ravens preview. And what I thought was really interesting, you know, we talked about how the Chiefs are now the hunted, not the hunter. Uh, The Chiefs actually opened the game as three-point underdogs, the, the opening betting line, which really surprised me. I know the Ravens are a really good football team they're one of the best in the NFL for sure and they've had a great start to the season so far um, it's it's surprising to me. I know the Chiefs didn't have their best stuff against the Chargers, but it is surprising that
0: the Chiefs opened as the underdog. Are you surprised by that? No, not at all. I mean, uh, Vegas is probably still giving notch just just first of all because it's a road game, which just doesn't matter oh, that cares? much. Yeah, it, it really matter. it doesn't. But I I bet Vegas is still giving a slight nod just for that. But secondly, I, I and probably the more important thing is 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 health, right? I mean, Kansas City's not at full strength, and I think majority of people out there think if you've got the you know the ravens best and and healthy lineup versus the chiefs best and healthy lineup that this game you know that that'd be a toss-up type game um so you know it doesn't really surprise me that the kansas city's opening as a as a three-point dog uh and frankly i mean the Ravens have absolutely rolled in their first two games. I don't think they've played as quality of opponents, but they've absolutely rolled in their first two games. So it'll be uh, it'll be a fantastic matchup on Monday Night Football.
1: You want to talk about how rare it is for the Chiefs to be underdogs going into a game. Now, obviously that line can change and and shift and adjust, but right now uh, the Chiefs are an underdog. This is just the seventh time that the Chiefs have been an underdog in a regular season game with Mahomes as their starter. Uh, of those six previous games, five of them came during the first 11 weeks of the 2018 season, and one of them came during the 2017 regular season finale which was the very first start of Patrick Mahomes career so the majority of those games when the Chiefs have been underdogs uh that that's that was early in the Mahomes tenure uh under center for Kansas City so it's pretty rare especially recently for the Chiefs to be underdogs and we talked about in our preview about at that time the Chiefs were favored in like 15 of 16 games this season um you know so they they are coming in at least from a betting Perspective uh, as an underdog, but I think it's a pretty even matchup. And I agree with you, it's going to be a solid game. Lamar Jackson. Um, is is outstanding. We all know that. You know, I, I don't think that. I think there are some quarterbacks out there that that are disrespected. Some. I think Russell Wilson, to an extent, is disrespected. I think Kyler Murray is disrespected. Some. Even Deshaun Watson is disrespected. Some. But I don't think Lamar Jackson is. I think he is perfectly respected as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and, and and obviously we know about their dynamic offense with you know Mark Ingram and and now with J.K. Dobbins as their rookie running back and you know the, their wideouts and. Mark Andrews is the tight end. I mean, they've got some pretty electric uh skill players on this team. So I'm really looking forward to this matchup quite a bit and of course you've got the 2018 uh MVP and the 2019 MVP facing off against each other uh early on uh, on Monday Night Football. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's obviously we are probably I don't know if we're going to get into predictions. Uh, it feels kind of a little early in the week. You just don't know how things shake out, but uh, I've predicted every week. Actually both of us really have predicted every week points. I yeah. don't see any way that there's not a ton of points in this football game. I I think it's gonna be a classic Monday night matchup where you see two, you know, frankly, probably two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks and two, you know, faces of the league for the next 10 to 15 years are going to be, I think, just going back and forth, back and forth in this game. And um, I I have hopes and expectations with a different result of the Chiefs. What was it? 2018 game against the Rams where there were, I can't even remember the final score, but it was right after the California wildfires. And it was just, just points all across the board. I've got hopes and high expectations that we see a game like that, but obviously with the Chiefs coming out, Victor.
1: Yeah, I think that game, I don't remember, it was something like 56 to 49. Yeah, I mean, it was right. like something, something stupid like that. Uh, let's do predictions very quickly, though. I know it's a, a ways out, but it's kind of our, I guess, tradition here on this show to do that. So uh, I'll start. I obviously think that points are going to be big as well. I'm not sure it's going to be quite like that. Uh, but I'm going to say 42 35, uh, I think the Chiefs get a
0: touchdown victory against the Ravens. Whew, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say forty two thirty eight. So I'm gonna change it then, and I'm gonna say forty nine forty two. Okay, I, I do. So I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stick with my stick with my points and forty nine forty two Chiefs, obviously. <laughs> Okay. Fair enough. So
1: we, we both think that the Chiefs will win by a touchdown. So obviously, we'll see how that goes. And we'll have a recap of the Monday night game against the Ravens on the next episode. And very quickly, before we move away from the NFL, a couple quick AFC West notes. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, Weston, the Raiders got a big Monday night football win against the Saints at home. They're a pretty good football team. And it'll be interesting to see how their season progresses. Uh, we, we know about the Chargers and then the Broncos. Uh, they lost. And they also lost Drew Locke for a few weeks and Blake Bortles will be the new quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Broncos signed him to a deal to replace Locke, at least in the interim. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Blake Bortles does in Denver. Any thoughts on him being the new QB for uh, the
0: Broncos? I, I like Blake Bortles, but it's only because of my bromance with Pardon My Take. So uh, I, he's just a good, good guy to root for. I... I'd, From a competitive standpoint, I don't he doesn't I don't think I think he brings similar probably skill set as Drew Locke. Obviously, I think Drew Locke, I like the prospect of Drew Locke moving forward. But I think as far as this season would have gone, I I think it's probably a pretty similar skill set that they have.
1: Fair enough. Well, that is our NFL update here on Keeper of the Games. Let it, uh, let's it. let get into some college football. As of right now, at the recording of this show, this can certainly change between now and Saturday. But as of right now, both Kansas and Kansas State are scheduled to play football. But both of those games have some COVID-19 concerns. The Jayhawks are scheduled to play Baylor. It will be Baylor's opening game, assuming that it actually takes place, but the Bears have had their own COVID concerns to start the season with several games being canceled, including uh, their home opener against Louisiana Tech, and then last week's game against Houston. Uh, It does look like right now that game is, uh, is scheduled to be played against the Jayhawks. However, Baylor is having some issues with the minimum thresholds of different player, different positions, having the number of guys to be able to fill those positions. But uh, right now it does look like the game Uh, hopefully will happen between KU and Baylor. And then uh, the same sort of thing is going on with the Sooners at Oklahoma. They're dealing with some COVID issues as well. Um, The the biggest thing is that, you know, Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, hoping they've got enough players at certain positions to be able to field the team against the Wildcats. Both KU and K-State, are underdogs and pretty severe underdogs in week two. Uh, let's start with the KU Baylor game, assuming that both of these games are played Weston. Do you think that there's any way that KU is able to cover that spread? I think right now it's 18 points against Baylor, or do you think that, you know, I I know it's hard considering the bears have not played a game yet, but, uh, do you think Baylor just completely run rules, the Jayhawks out of Waco?
0: Yeah, I'm looking right now. It looks like I'm seeing the the spread at 16 and a half. You know, I, I I think it's, I think it's Possible, and I'm only going to say that just because the unknown of, the, of Baylor with the new staff, and we haven't seen them play yet, um, you know. And but with that being said, also kind of on the flip side of that, there's no tape for Kansas to really prepare on Baylor, which makes it even harder for Kansas to prep. Coming off an already bad loss, uh, so you know it's just it's just hard to really know. I think the thing I'm really kind of looking forward to in this game is seeing which route Kansas goes. Whether they're going to stick with Thomas McVitie, um, or maybe I should say go back to Thomas McVitie. He was the starter and and looked like he had kind of won the job. Got hurt. Miles Kendrick came in and played pretty well. Um, so really, w- which route they go? Whether Thomas McVitie or Miles Kendrick moving forward.
1: Yeah, I know that Les Miles had talked a little bit about, um, you know, McVitie and and I think he had suffered an injury in the opener against Coastal Carolina. That's why we didn't see him a whole lot in the second half or at all in the second half. And it was pretty much exclusively Miles Kendrick. Um, But Les Miles said that, you know, if McVitie is healthy and ready to go, then um, then we can expect to see him out there. But there was no clarity on if it's just going to be him or if the Jayhawks are going to stick to the two quarterback system. Uh, I don't know, and we don't have to get into a huge discussion about it right now, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that two quarterback system as a former player, as a fan. I hate it. I wish that the Jayhawks and you know any team that has two quarterbacks that they're swapping in and out would just stick with one guy. I, I know that McVitie and Kendrick have different skill sets and they're different kinds of quarterbacks, and it gives a different kind of look for your offense. But at the same time, I think that there's something to be said for consistency and you know being able to you know let a guy get into his rhythm and be able to let him drive the bus. But as a former player, do you see any kind of issue with the Jayhawks going back and forth between two quarterbacks?
0: Yeah, I absolutely hate it. I hated it as a teammate. Um, I always thought it felt like the coaching staff not being able to pick a guy and or, or coddling someone's feelings and giving them some playing time when you just pick a guy and go. I think there's absolutely something to be said about continuity. And particularly as I played defense in college, you know, I loved when they'd go to a two quarterback system then because the predictability is through the roof. It almost always is you've got a quarterback that is a little bit more pass friendly. And a quarterback that's a little bit more run-friendly, and all that does is create tendencies for a defense to know when when whichever quarterback is in the game. It's it's so easy to look at that. It's a lot different to necessarily. I mean, you have your keys and you know if it's the you know tendencies of one particular wide receiver or a running back, but a quarterback, that's always an eye. I mean, you never you're always aware of which quarterback's in the game, and you're gonna very well know his tendencies, and I just think it creates such a simple concept uh you know for a defense to kind of help defend against and I, I i've hated it forever as a teammate um and as a fan too but uh mostly i it just doesn't i don't think it makes sense i did hear les miles say that they are their goal is to only be a one quarterback team um, sure. it's just a matter of figuring it out which I guess I can kind of understand that, but I still think as a coach, it's, it's your job to figure out who it is and and do it and do it well. Like that, that's what you're getting paid to do. I, I, I hate it.
1: And, and you know you're always going to hear coaches say, "Well, both of these guys are are really good, and not one of them can separate themselves from the other." As a fan, as a pessimistic fan, my thought process is neither guy's good enough to have to, you know to run the offense by themselves. They need to have somebody else to swap in and out. So uh, I definitely agree with you there on the defensive side of the ball for Kansas with this matchup against Baylor. Assuming it happens, I do think it's tacky to talk about. Uh, the the uh, the Kansas Jayhawks uh, defense taking advantage of a COVID nineteen situation, but that is kind of what the Kansas defense has to look forward to. One of the big issues with the Baylor Bears according to their athletic director Mac Rhodes is the offensive line for Baylor and how depleted it has been because of COVID-19. His quote was within within this particular position group, we can't take on any more hot water. We'll get some young men back before the Kansas game, not a week before, not 5 days before, but shortly before that could be ready. So we're hopeful. So right now it does look like that offensive line group for the Baylor Bears is struggling through COVID-19, which of course you have to think that, you know, that the Jayhawks defense will game plan for a little bit. Uh, The other thing to keep in mind too, not only is there no tape on the Baylor Bears, but also this is a brand new head coach for Baylor. Uh, You know, of course, Matt Rule left to go to the Carolina Panthers in the NFL. Dave Aranda is the first year coach for Baylor. So you don't really know a lot about what his techniques are, what his schemes are, what his playbook looks like. So really the Jayhawks are kind of going in blind. Um, you know, my original question was about the, the spread, um, and I'll answer it. I don't think that there's any possible way that the Jayhawks cover the spread. I know that's, Pretty pessimistic of me, uh, but I think that, especially considering that you know the Jayhawks are going to have a hard time game planning for this particular matchup, uh, I just think Baylor has too much firepower, uh, and, and I think that they completely blow that spread out of the water.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I guess kind of came from it from the approach of just hey, you know, we don't really know what Baylor is yet. Um, but I mean, I think you're right. I think it's going to be tough. It, it, in my anticipation, to some degree, would be that that spread does have the COVID concerns built in. I mean, any good, you know, books bookmaker is is looking at those things and tr- trying as best as they can yeah. to factor that in. But but you're right. I mean, and I mean, it's just like what we saw with Kansas City on Sunday could be very well the Achilles heel to Baylor come Saturday. Is no matter how great of an offense you have, if your offensive line consistently is allowing the defense, especially a front four where you can sit everybody else back, you know, allowing the, the front four of the Kansas Jayhawks to disrupt the timing of the offense and disrupt the play calling or, or plays that you'd otherwise want to run, that could be seriously problematic. And, and, you know, I'm certainly not going to predict Kansas to win, but that's kind of the path I see to them maybe covering the spread.
1: I think my final score for the Jayhawks and Baylor, I'm going to say Baylor 45 and Ku 13. That's my prediction for the final score. I don't know if you have a prediction that you want to share for this game.
0: Well, uh, I said it's possible that they cover. I'm still going. I'm going to say 38 21, which if we're looking at a 16 and a half spread, they still miss it. Um, but 38 uh, 21 is kind of where I'm feeling here. You're more optimistic than
1: I am, especially with uh, that particular matchup. The other game uh, in the state with K-State and the Sooners, that this game might have more COVID issues than even the Jayhawks and Baylor game is concerned. And we talked about some of the COVID concerns that the Sooners have had. Lincoln Riley has talked about that, but it might be even more dire for the Wildcats. This coming from GoPowerCat.com's Tim Fitzgerald. Uh, sources are saying that the, the Wildcats may not have enough players to even field a team at Oklahoma on Saturday. Now, the team is believed to be hopeful and optimistic about their chances to participate, but... Uh, it, at this point, it looks like there are some uh, some big troubles there as far as numbers are concerned for the Wildcats to field the squad. That's definitely not a good sign when you're traveling on the road to Norman to take on the powerful Sooners. You got to have you know your full arsenal of weapons, and even if the game is played, it doesn't look like Kansas State will have that right now. From I believe maybe the spread has changed, but at last I saw it was 28. Uh, yep. and, and I think it's probably stayed there. Uh, do you think there's any way that knowing what we know about COVID and going up against the Sooners that the Wildcats can cover that spread?
0: Man, I, it's, I, I would say it'd be hard-pressed at full strength, especially seeing what Arkansas State's passing game did to yeah. Kansas State last week uh, or two weeks ago, I guess. Um, I, I would be very skeptical that they can slow down this – you know, I'll I'll say historic uh, Oklahoma passing game over the last, you know, 10 years, they've been one of the premier passing games uh, really across the country. So I think, Throwing in the, the COVID concerns, I think, only makes it even more that this game could be an absolute route. Now, I did see, um, obviously, Oklahoma having some COVID concerns themselves. Lincoln Riley said that he had to actually uh, stand in for scout team and, and run some, I think he said was running some plays with scout team because they were short yeah. some guys. So uh, I bet Lincoln Riley probably still has a little bit of game left in him, though.
1: Yeah, and, and on that same note for the for the Wildcats, uh, Chris Kleiman said and, and this was his quote on the Big 12 teleconference last week when we broke into scout teams we had a tight end playing tackle for the offensive scouts a fullback playing guard and a defensive end playing another tackle because we were down that many numbers um, so it's definitely not ideal on either side but I think that if you're comparing who you'd rather be in this situation you'd rather be the Sooners and um, I, I know it's pessimistic I don't see the Wildcats covering the spread either uh, against the the Sooners uh, so my prediction i'm going to say oklahoma puts up a lot of points i'm going to say they score uh 52 points and i think that uh the the wildcats score i'm going to say 20 i'm going to say 52 20 uh ou beats the wildcats
0: yeah i mean i i'm i think that oklahoma gets i'm going to say 15 59 to i'll i'll give case 28 because i think oklahoma maybe you know starts rotating some guys in and out and kind of giving that that JV squad I'll say a, ch- a chance and and I think that I think it's going to be rough for K-State and really well maybe to some degree theirs but not you know no fault of their own I think that w- with the health concerns it's just hard to play at this level without being full strength you know it, it it's not like the NFL where all these guys are incredible talents you know some of these colleges especially like if you're not a powerhouse like Oklahoma you know you're scraping to get 22 really good guys that you're hoping can go compete in the big 12 and and potentially win it. But programs like that often have a harder time, you know, filling that depth chart underneath that because you're, you're just not getting the full fledge of talent like some of these other schools are getting. So I think it really, really, really hurts them that they're going to be playing with, with some second or third, you know, string run of guys.
1: Kansas State travels to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears Saturday at 6:30 p.m. That game is on ESPNU. And the Wildcats travel to Norman to take on the Sooners of Oklahoma. That game kicks off at 11 a.m. nationally televised on Fox, assuming that both of those games. Actually, happen, and uh, I know you and I are relatively pessimistic. It might be a weekend to skip watching both in-state schools. Uh, I'm I might have to do that. We'll we'll have to kind of wait and see on that. Let's shift gears very quickly and talk some college basketball. So uh, we talked about the start of the college basketball season on the last episode of our podcast, and Greg Marshall from the Wichita State Shockers, within the last 24 hours, had his opening. Uh, press conference uh, about the start of the season, talked about a whole bunch of different things, including the newcomers and some of the transfers and returning players and overall about his thoughts on the upcoming season for the shockers. Uh, One of the biggest questions about the shockers from last season coming into this season was the overall team chemistry, which wasn't great uh, when the shockers finished up the, the last season. And we saw a record number of players transfer out of Greg Marshall's program. So in that opening press conference, he touched on what he thinks the team chemistry will be this upcoming season for the
3: shockers. It seems great to me, uh, but it always seems great to be, to be honest. And that's what the guys say just about every year. But obviously we know that we didn't have last year was the first year in my whole coaching career that our chemistry was, was bad. And, uh, uh, you know, no one really knew what to do to how to fix it. And it just didn't, it just, it was a bad mixture. If you will, this year, uh, I've had multiple players, returners and new guys, say how much different this is and how much better it is. So I don't – again, I, I didn't see any problems last year at this time. So I just think um, they can talk the talk, but we got to walk the walk. We've got to support each other. We've got to pull for each other. There's 16 young men on this team, and they've all got to be pulling in the same direction whether you start or come off the bench, whether you play 32 minutes or 12 minutes, it's about Wichita State being the absolute best that they can be. And, uh, you know, I, I love the chemistry so far. And I and I think that it will continue because, again, they're, they're great young men. But when adversity hits, that's when you start to figure out what kind of chemistry you've got. And everybody goes through some type of adversity. And we will certainly go through our uh, share of adversity. But I like the makeup of this team. We don't have 10 underclassmen, five freshmen, five sophomores like last year. We have it a little more well-balanced, and we've got a lot of upperclassmen that have some leadership ability as opposed to just Jamie last year. And um, so hopefully we can continue with the good vibes that we have going on.
1: I think that, you know, th- those are a couple things to take away from, uh, you know, that that little, um, you know, that quote from Greg Marshall. Number one, I think it's, it's the right approach to be able to say, well, I really like the team, but I do recognize how bad the chemistry was last year. And so I can say that it's really good now, um, you know, but when adversity hits and when bad things happen, then obviously we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, it's kind of like you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? We'll see how, you know, that that chemistry actually holds up under pressure for the shockers. The other thing too, that I think is uh, a, a good takeaway is just to remember that this shocker team is more mature and older now than it was a season ago. There were so many underclassmen and, and like coach Marshall said, it's a more balanced squad. Now there are more veterans on the team. There are more mature guys on the team. And so I think that's obviously got to help, uh, with the team chemistry i know that we're a a little bit of a ways away from the start of the season but uh did anything that coach marshall say right there sort of resonate with you as far as what we can look forward to to a shocker season
0: well i i think you you hit on a good point about you know hey a little bit older but also you know with some young talent coming in that they're really excited about And, and it wasn't necessarily in those remarks but i also heard um him mention he was he was talking about um uh chance uh trying to blink on his lesson chance jenkins who's coming in as a a freshman out of newport news virginia and he compared him to Ja morant now he was very clear to say hey i'm not saying he is Ja morant uh you know Ja morant being the nba rookie of the year this year but that's still a lofty comparison and, and kind of an exciting comparison um and then I, I, I hear something like that and wrapping it in with what you're talking about, how there's a combination of, you know, uh, not, not necessarily senior leadership, but older, been in the, pro, you know, stuck around in the program type leadership combined with the the, the, the talent of some of these, you know, young raw guys. is could be a very good combination for the Shockers uh, going into the 2020-2021 season.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, we talked on the last episode about how the schedules are up in the air now that we know when the start date for the season will be. And, you know, uh, the Shockers were scheduled to play in the battle for Atlantis. And it looks like that's moving to South Dakota. And then obviously the non-conference schedule uh, is all kind of up in the air right now. And there are Several games that are pretty marquee for the non-conference schedule for the Shockers that uh, we just don't know at this point if they're going to be played, when they're going to be played, where they're going to be played, uh, what that's going to look like. I did see, and I was I was going to look this up because I, I want to make sure that I don't um, miss, uh, misspeak on this, but I did see that the American Conference did make an announcement about men's basketball or about the basketball schedule. Um, and I want to say it was it was something about that there would be a couple of conference games that would happen actually in December for the conference. So they're they're actually starting the conference season a little bit early. Don't quote me on that because um, I don't have that information right in front of me. But I, I do think I read that. So who knows what's going to end up happening with the the non conference schedule for the Shockers? Uh, it could very well be that we're in the middle of conference play, uh, you know, in the month of December. So you know everything's kind of up in the air at this point. But one thing is clear for greg marshall and the shockers they're gonna need better team chemistry they're going to need to be able to come together a little bit better consistently week and and week out game in and game out than they did a season ago Uh, that that's just that's just a given
0: yeah no i I mean absolutely i mean that's you know and that's like you said i mean that's what he touched on but that's also what he had to say right after what happened in the off season, he has no I mean he has to come in front of that podium and say the team chemistry already seems better blah 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 but he did a good job of pointing out that it, all it is is words and we've got to be able to put, yeah. it, put a product on the floor and that's exactly what you know what we're saying here and and what he's echoing. So you know I think I think they understand that and and we'll have to see you know come December.
1: Well, yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on that for sure as we get closer to the college basketball season. We'll have more uh, more discussion about the Shockers and, of course, uh, the other in-state D1 teams as we get closer to the start of the season. All right, a little bit of talk about baseball here. There's really not much to talk about. We, we mentioned the Royals on the last episode, what the Royals had to do in the final week of the season to make a final push for the playoffs. And they have not done that. Um, they, they haven't really even come close to that. As of right now, the Royals stand at 22 and 32 at the recording of this episode. And last I looked, uh, as we're recording, they were in the middle of playing against the Cardinals and they were losing. I'm not sure if you have that score up in front of you. They lost. Uh, if it's gone final. They lost. Okay, so now they're 22 and 33. Uh, I was looking, Weston, at the the, the wild card, the, the expanded wild card standings for the American League and, you know, they still have the Royals at 22 and 32. They weren't at that time mathematically eliminated uh, from the wild card, um, but they were the last team that, you know, could possibly not be eliminated. That's probably changed, I would guess, with this loss. But the Royals were right on the cusp. What went wrong in this last week for Kansas City? They, they had an opportunity. To be able to make a run against it, we talked about the schedule not being super difficult for the Royals in this last week. Uh, and, and it really it really feels like to me they squandered that opportunity.
0: You know, I, this is going to be, you know, a very, you keep saying I'm the optimistic one. This may be going to be a pessimistic take from me, but I, frankly, I don't think anything went wrong, Tommy. I think they kind of, were who we thought they were throughout the season. Yes, there was some good moments, and we talked about they have a soft schedule at the end, and there's a chance to do it. But did we think that they were? No, not really. You know, I, I don't think necessarily anything went wrong. I think this is just where this ball club's at right now. Um, you know, and it's it's gonna be about building for 2021, about building for 2022. But uh I, quick shout out because he's one of my favorite players. Salvador Perez is having a fantastic season. Yeah. I wish he would have got through all of the short season. Um, he's I mean, particularly a couple things to note on base percentage of 374 for a guy who strikes out a lot and does not like to take walks is, has been fantastic. Um, he's slugging 635. He's never slugged greater than 470, no, 495. And his OPS is 1000, basically. And he'd never his OPS had never been greater than 834. So really put together, I know I do a small sample size, but really uh, exciting to see as Salvi gets older and coming off an injury that he bounced back and you can, you know, hopefully expect, you know, two, three, four, five more years of, you know, very, very good baseball from Salvador Perez.
1: Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with Salvi. I'd like to see him win the comeback player of the year award in the American league uh, because not only did he come back at a good level, he came back at a great level for the Royals and was really one of the few bright spots for this Royals team uh in this shortened season. In a future episode, I think, especially once the offseason hits, you know, we can talk about what the future plans are for the Royals in the offseason, what things are going to look like uh opening day 2021. We've talked a lot about the pitching staff. We'll take a look at the at the offense. Um, you know, I think that there's probably a, a pretty solid chance Alex Gordon is going to retire and is you know not going to come back, um, you know. So there there are some different things that we can obviously discuss and talk about. Um, if my math is correct, I do think that the Royals are mathematically eliminated with that loss against the Cardinals. Uh, the The final wild card team um, are the Toronto Blue Jays with a record of twenty eight and twenty seven. The Royals are twenty two and thirty three, so they're six games back with five to go. So I think that that's correct i think that with that loss that uh, just happened uh, you know right as we were recording the show i think that does mathematically eliminate the royals from playoff contention and we can start to look ahead to 2021 on a future episode of keeper of the games let's go ahead and get into our wichita whip around here on this episode and we're talking prep football the first two weeks of the prep football season weston you and i have not been. We've not had our A game talking about Wichita Metro High School football. Um, I think this week is going to be a little bit uh, different because I don't know about you. I've got my prep ready. I guess prep for prep. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm ready to rock and roll and talk about some high school football. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So the the big uh, the big story that we talked about last week uh, on the show was the matchup against Derby and Bishop Carroll. That was going to be the game of the week and maybe even the game of the year in the Wichita Metro Derby remains undefeated all time against Bishop Carroll. Uh, They were able to get the victory against uh, Bishop Carroll Um, that they've never lost. That didn't change uh, on on last Friday night, either for Derby. So uh, that moves Derby to three and one on the season. Uh, and and so I think that's big you know obviously um, you know Derby stumbled in week number one but they were able to get that win and and Bishop Carroll's a good football team uh, this season for sure and Derby was able to get the win 35 to 21.
0: Yeah and especially for Derby I mean you know they had they traveled far north where you know to get that first loss that they had against uh, Mill Creek or Mill Valley sorry Uh, coming back and, and kind of reasserting their dominance on the wichita metro i think probably is a big boost of confidence for them um and, and makes them feel comfortable really moving forward the rest of the season
1: yeah without a doubt um you know derby their next game is scheduled to be played against salina south now there are some COVID concerns in the prep world as well around wichita that does impact derby so there were reports earlier in the week that Derby would not be playing Salinas South uh, due to COVID issues and quarantine and and contact tracing and that sort of thing. Uh, But they did put out an announcement on Monday night that Friday's football game against Salinas South is still on despite recent positive tests among players. This game against Salinas Southwestern would be Derby's home opener. They played their first uh, three games on the road uh, and, and so this would be, you know, a chance to get back home in front of their rabid fans. I don't know if you've ever been to a derby home football game, but it is packed, uh, and it is a, a great environment. Now, obviously, with fa- with no fans or, or fewer fans, that's not going to be, you know, as you know, the same. Obviously, for the Panthers this time around, but I think it's got to feel good to at least get back home uh, when they have not played in their
0: in their home field yet. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly I, I hope that they can get this, you know, get this game played because you know, that will almost kinda of be like a you know, defeating moment in and of itself after you grind out three road games, be all prepared to, to get your home opener, play on your home field and then not to, to have it happen would be deflating, I think, to some degree. So certainly hope they, they get it all get get this game played and, and everything goes smoothly.
1: The other COVID concern in the Wichita Metro is in Hayesville as campus high school's upcoming two football games are canceled. So that's this weekend against May South and the first weekend in October against Andover. Um, And as of right now, the JV and freshman games are still scheduled. But because of uh, cases on the team for the varsity uh, team for campus, the upcoming two games are canceled. I think that this is probably... It's going to continue. It's probably going to happen among multiple programs, you know, as the season goes on. And it's just, it's part of the reality. It's just something that's going to have to be dealt with as it comes up. Uh, but as of right now, campus, uh, they, they will not be playing the next two weeks. Uh, so yeah, definitely a big deal COVID wise uh, for the Hayesville school district.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. You're, you really hit it. I mean, it's just, that's just going to happen throughout the season. And, and I think good teams are going to, pro- prepare for these disruptions in the the normal programming of, of their football season. And, and they're just going to have to deal with it and kind of, kind of move forward.
1: A couple of other uh, updates uh, from week number three in the prep world. So Wichita South, they beat Wichita North on Saturday afternoon. Uh, The final score was 56 to zero. So this is the second straight week that Wichita South has shut out their opponent. Uh, and have beat them by a margin of 50 points or more. They beat Southeast 52 to zero last week. And they won against North 56 to 0. So Weston, we always talk about, you know, uh, the, the dominant programs in the City League. And, you know, I, I think Northwest has a great, a great program. We've talked about them quite a bit on this program. You know, there are a couple of other teams in the City League that historically are very strong. Wichita South, I think, is making a case for being one of those dominant teams in the City League this season.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing that kind of overshadows this victory for them is that, you know, it was, what, five days prior when uh, Wichita East put up 80 on North. You know, I think, uh, you know, sadly, I think North is just a very, very bad football team. Um, But but you're right. I mean, South is, I mean, there still takes, you know, it takes the game to be played and and to get those 56 points on the board. And I think there's a lot of talent. But I think just kind of what's overshadowing right now is that, hey, Let's, let's see you go out and do it against somebody who, who's competing at a little bit higher level right now than what we've seen. But, but I, think they're, I think they're definitely playing at a level, Wichita South, that is, is playing at a level that we haven't re- really seen out of them in the last few years in, in, in the Wichita Metro.
1: Yeah, to your point, Wichita East beat Wichita North uh, last week. 80-0 uh, was the final score in that game. Heights uh, took down West 17-7. to uh, And then just a couple of other uh, points to make here uh, around the Wichita Metro. So Cheney, they took down Garden Plain. Uh, that was an easy win for Cheney, 44-7. Uh, and then also Andover Central, uh, they were playing their first game in a brand new stadium. They are unbeaten as they beat Goddard Eisenhower, 45 to 31. Looking ahead this weekend in the Wichita City League and the surrounding areas, you've got Wichita Heights scheduled. They're on the road against Wichita North, who obviously they've had a pretty rough go at it uh, the first couple of weeks of the season. Southeast is on the road to take on Wichita West. East is on the road to take on South. Of course, we talked about Salinas South playing Derby. So that's happening uh, also. And then, uh, you know, from there, you get into. 5A matchups, we talked about how Campus and May South, uh, that game's canceled. Dodge City is on the road to take on Bishop Carroll. Uh, And then, you know, from there, obviously, several other uh, big games like Andover uh, on the road against Goddard. Uh, So, yeah, another big weekend, big matchup here uh, for the Wichita Metro. Some of these games are taking place on Thursday night. Others are taking place on Friday night. And again, we'll have another full update uh, on the results of that on the next episode any other updates or anything you want to touch on in the world of prep sports
0: yeah Tommy, me uh, i think you missed the big shout out to your uh your alma mater clearwater putting up 61 against mulvane beating them 61 to 14 and i was uh i'm actually i was looking for a score Andel putting up uh matching that putting up 63 against wellington uh, wellington getting uh Beating them 63 to 7. So, uh, giving a shout out to our, uh, Alma Monters there, got to get their scores. When you got two guys podcasting that went to your schools, you get your, you get your score shouted out.
1: There you go. Yeah. Congratulations to, uh, I guess both the Indians, both the Clearwater That's Indians right. and the Andale Indians uh, for their victories um, respectively last week. So we'll have, again, have another uh, update on all of that. Uh, the next games on the next episode of keeper of the games. One other quick topic in our Wichita whip around before we move on and wrap the show up. We obviously had Scott Welsh from Crestview country club on the program last week to talk about the Wichita open, which is scheduled to tee off on Thursday at Crestview country club uh, on the corn Ferry tour. Uh, Everything as of right now is still a go uh, for this tournament. So, you know, obviously no fans, which is a bummer. Scott talked about that quite a bit uh, on the last episode. But Roy Turner, who is the director of the Wichita Open, was asked about COVID testing and what that's going to look like as the Wichita Open is about to get underway.
3: Most of our tents this year are built about the testing of people. And we expect to test as many as 500 people that come on the course this year, players, caddies, volunteers, People who serve coffee, Um, it's better to be safe than sorry, but the PGM, it's mandatory that we do go through all this for those people, and so far it's been very safe, and I'm sure we'll be, well, this is going to be like Fort Knox, I think.
1: He thinks it's going to be like Fort Knox out there as far as, you know, the security and the the protocols and the testing and all of that. Uh, You know, 500 some people tested for COVID at uh, Crestview Country Club to make sure that the players and the caddies and the volunteers and, you know, everybody that makes this tournament possible uh, is is absolutely safe. And I think that's what you have to do uh, to ensure that an event like this can go on as scheduled. One thing I did read, Weston, is that uh, the Wichita police will have a pretty strong presence at crest you just to make sure that nobody who is not supposed to be there actually shows up and tries to get on the grounds uh, so they're really taking this safety thing seriously to make sure that there's not any kind of outbreak
0: yeah it's i mean it's good to know that they're doing that and i think uh, obviously this year notwithstanding the, the incredible circumstances you know good to know that wichita has the ability to put forth these measures to host an event like this w- when unusual things happen. I think again, it's just a, a, another showcase for the city of Wichita saying, "Hey, we can do these things." You know, meet any measures that a company, a league, uh, an event, you know, needs or wants um, to host host their day. So, I you know, I think it's a thing. It's great, great showing for Wichita, and I'm glad that uh, we can get the Wichita Open up and running we talked about the charitable uh, charitable contributions at the Wichita Open.
1: Uh, they provide every single year to local nonprofits. And and this year the numbers are down, but I did read that the Wichita Open is able to donate over $100,000 in charitable donations. And and it's big, you know, obviously for the economy and for the local nonprofits. And it just that that event is just awesome. We talked about it at length. We don't need to talk about it anymore, but it does kick off uh, on Thursday at Crestview Country Club. So, uh, you know, hoping for a great event there This weekend, that's going to do it for our Wichita whip around here on keeper of the games. Last but not least on the program is our finally funny. We're going back all the way to our top story, talking about the Kansas city chiefs and their victory against the chargers. You know, Weston, all of these coaches, I don't know if you read about it. They're getting fined for not wearing masks properly on the sidelines. I know that on the Monday night game, Sean Payton and John Gruden, both were fined a hundred thousand dollars and their team uh, was fined a quarter of a million dollars. Each of them. Them. And then there were a couple of other coaches. Vic Fangio from the Broncos was fined. I think Kyle Shanahan uh, was fined as well. Um, you know, so all of these issues with wearing masks on the sideline. Andy Reid is not one of them. He's not even wearing a mask. He's wearing that face shield that everybody talked about in week one on the Thursday night opening game and how it was fogging over. But there wasn't as big of a problem against the Chargers because it looked like he was using some defogger. Uh, you know, I read about it a little bit. Do you know more about this and what he used to actually keep that mask? Mask or that face shield totally clear during the entire game
0: no i can't i can't say that I, I i i don't know about what product he was using but you could also see there were like little holes inserted in like you know and around the top so we're not talking about not being able to provide adequate protection but i did notice i was like wow looks like there's some holes so that you can kind of get that air up and through the, the, the shield so it doesn't just continuously probably fog up from his breath and mixture of all sorts of air uh but big red uh, setting an example i guess for for the league so I did find it. So
1: uh, shout out. And, they, you know, this guy might be the actual MVP of the game and maybe not Harrison Butker, but that's Chiefs equipment manager, Alan Wright, because he found a defogging product that's commonly used by hockey players to defog their masks that's right. when they're wearing those. And so he was able to use that, put that on Andy Reid's face shield uh, to, to keep that from fogging up. And I can't imagine going back to that opening game, how he was able to see anything. Uh, I mean, it was so fogged up and of course there were all of these memes and people talking about it on social media. So, uh, hats off to Alan Wright and Andy Reed for finding a way to make that work. Uh, and I would imagine we'll still, we'll keep seeing Andy Reed rocking that face shield on the sideline. I hope they get that mask in Canton at some point. I hope they do too. <laughs> I mean, I think that that is just the embodiment of of football in 2020 is Andy Reid's face shield for sure. So hats off to him for finding a way to make that work and avoiding a huge fine from the NFL. So that's our finally funny here on Keeper of the Games and that's going to wrap up this episode for sure. We've got another one in the books. We want to thank you so much for listening and we want to remind you to make sure to hit subscribe that way anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast. You'll get a notification. Again, we're dropping shows on different days of the week now depending on our schedules and what's going on and things might change a little bit when you know weston's baby comes and so the best way to know about when we have new episodes is to hit subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast that way you'll get a notification whenever we drop a new episode again you can find us on platforms like itunes and google podcasts and spotify all the rest you can also watch full episodes on youtube and on facebook by searching for keeper of the games and on our website cogpod.weebly.com and you can follow us anytime on twitter and instagram at cog pod that's at kog pod and uh, i i think i mean i i know we're not really we don't really have a schedule in mind but um you know you're gonna keep doing shows with us until eventually you can't do a show and then we're gonna we've got a special guest co-host in line and but obviously we won't know when that's going to be until the time comes
0: that's right that's right no i'm I'm glad we've we've already started putting in in the framework for what it's going to look like so you'll get plenty of me until then and just know when you stop hearing my voice it's probably because i'm in full dad mode yeah, we'll, of course, uh, you know, keep our listeners updated on that. Although I'm sure that a lot of them who
1: listening, who are listening know you or I. <laughs> that's right. So we'll probably know that ahead of time, but that's okay. Uh, we'll make sure to update uh, folks on that. And just know that once Weston has his baby, it doesn't mean that the show is going away. We're just going to kind of adjust for a little bit and then get back to normal after that. So uh, we'll have a full schedule and, and uh, everything ready to go when that time comes. Uh, before we wrap things up and before we get out of here, Weston, what is your Twitter handle? at w Mills 94 You can follow me at tweets from Tommy. So we'll plan on being back next week for another episode talking about the Chiefs Monday night game against the Ravens. Hopefully we'll be talking about a Chiefs win and uh, we'll see if KU and K-State actually happen this week. And if they do, we'll have a recap uh, of those games as well and looking forward to the next Big 12 matchups for both of those teams. So until next time, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys.
2: You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to
0: subscribe, download and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. That's K-O-G-Pod.